You know, Miles, the more I think about it, podcasters and vampires aren't so different. We both tend to work under the cover of night. We both have to to hide our true selves from the outside world who doesn't understand us and may be fearful. And no one should try to look at our reflections. Welcome, everyone, to the More You Nerd podcast. Miles, how are you, friend? I am doing well. It is 2021, and we are doing our first deep dive of the year. And only our second deep dive since coming back, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we did the Ghost in the Shell deep dive uh, back in anime last year. Uh, but th- here we are. And and you may notice the last episode that you saw was an was an older episode. That's because I just reposted the episodes where we talked about the first two uh, episodes of Forever Night. Uh, the 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 hit series, I guess you could call it that, uh, where vampire Nick Knight, uh, not Nick at night. That was a Nickelodeon thing. I made the same exact joke to Krista earlier today. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Nick Nick Knight, who is an ancient vampire who is trying to become human and mortal again, uh, working as a police detective in some Canadian city, maybe Vancouver. I saw a Montreal ad in the background of one, but I don't specifically know which which Canadian city it is. It is certainly Canada. Yes, it is 100 percent Canada, uh, which you could tell because everyone is slightly cold and no one can say the word out. <laughs> yeah, there, there, I, f- I feel like in these episodes, I don't think I wrote it down, but there were a couple more kind of Canadian isms in in these episodes, just in some minor, minor things. And I think it was mostly uh, accent based and. Uh, just to to remind people, uh, you know, this was the show that won uh, syndication September, uh, and and we were pretty big fans. We were both kind of uh, mostly rooting for this one. We we also had our dark horse favorites, but we were we were very happy to see that this one was the one that more people wanted to to see a deep dive in, and. You know that this was a show that drew. I think both of us walked away from the first two episodes, really kind of wanted to see what else they delivered for the first season. Yeah, for sure. Like it's it's a show that definitely shows its age. This is a show from the early 1990s. It ran from 1992 to 1996, so it is. It certainly a little dated in that regard. It is also a Canadian production, which I mean, no disrespect to Canada at all, because today, as we talk here in 2021, 30 years later, most TV production in the country in our country is done in Canada. So it's kind of both of our country's stuff. Uh, So uh, but but what when I say that that what that is going to mean is something very funny as we get into some of the guest stars in these episodes, because a lot of these people are extremely familiar. Yes. And uh, I just want to, you know, shoot up a little disclaimer. I know we have covered R-rated things before, and we are generally a PG-13 slash family-friendly podcast. Uh, but this this show, and it was something that I I expected but wasn't a hundred percent, is 
pretty mature. And while we are going to maintain our PG-13 uh, conversational style and and content, we did want to warn anyone who does still listen to this uh, with their kids, because we know we've had listeners tell us that they do, that some of the situations will be pretty mature for the next couple weeks. So even though we are going to break up some of our uh, deep dive episodes with a uh, a week of, of a break about every two weeks. Yes. Doing these. Um, so Drew, did you need much of a recap to, to pop back into the world of forever night or did you just kind of reread our notes from the episode? Pretty much that I just kind of jumped in because it, it hasn't been that long. We only watched two episodes and really the big thing that the first two episodes cover is Nick's relationship with his sire, as we know in the vampire world, uh, Lucian, uh, who does not really factor into these episodes at all. So we have the, the kind of pilot. Well, I'm, I does not really factor in. You heard me say we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> What's 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 funny is uh, there are some things that I I kind of forgot were quirks the show, specifically everything Spanky does uh, or Skanky does. Um, Yes, not Spanky. That was a that was a uh, uh, a little rascal, a little rascal. (laughs) Uh, But I was unsure if I mentioned this last time, but uh, and I I may have. But Catherine Disher, who who plays uh, Natalie, his kind of assistant person she is one of the uh the the coroner i guess the medical examiner you could call her a coroner but i think she's also like the the yeah she's a medical examiner basically so she is the actress who voiced jean gray in the 90s x-men cartoon she was as also so you you also know okay yes (laughs) which which is funny i just discovered this as we were setting up for this right that's why i don't think we talked about it because i was like oh really (laughs) yeah it's like i wondered why her voice was so familiar and then tell them tell the people so miles mentions that uh she was gene gray on the x-men animated series in the 90s which i literally just watched a couple episodes of a couple weeks ago she is also the voice of jill valentine in resident evil 3 nemesis on the playstation one a game that i literally (laughs) played uh over and over again uh i am i am so uh i i loved that game um but oh, she's a very good voice actress. And it's funny because it was her voice that I was like, I know that voice. So I looked up who Catherine Disher was. Uh, oddly enough, she married the voice actor who played Professor X in the cartoon. And you can currently find her on Hallmark's very, very popular long running TV show, The Good Witch, which is was a pandemic discovery for for my girlfriend and I. It's a <laughs> of, of it, it's. It's a it's a Hallmark show. So what it is, it is what it is. But she has been playing uh, Martha Tisdale for about seven years. <laughs> so she is uh, still still getting good work. She's she's a main character on that show. Uh, so with that said, uh, let us reintroduce some of our characters that we need to know. So we've got Nick Knight, the vampire in, in question. We've got Natalie, who is the medical examiner. We've got Skanky, the uh, it's spelled S-C-H-A-N-K-E. I just want to point that out. It's pronounced Skanky. Uh, for yeah, that probably was just a weird, a weird, a weird <laughs> pun that they're like, oh, yeah, this is how you, how you actually uh, spell it. 
So uh, they can just get away with calling him skanky. Yes. There are a few other characters that are going to appear, like another vampire named Jeanette uh, and and a few other, like the, the police captain or the detective captain or chief of police. I forget what his actual title is, who shows up from time to time. But these three episodes that we're going to cover are going to be more standalone episodes. They don't feel in... Uh, a lot of the overall plot of the story, which makes sense considering we've got more than 20 episodes in this first season. It, it also makes sense with how a lot of TV shows were designed at the time. You would have maybe one or two episodes that did something, and then you'd have a long stretch. Star Trek did this a lot, uh, where you'd have a long stretch of of standalone episodes. And I think after the the pilot, that was a strong choice to make because you want to have Nick doing cases, being the vampire in the night, and just doing some some regular things before you introduce things that could create an ongoing story. Because yeah. I'm trying to think of shows that had sequential storytelling like this on, a, on mainstream TV at the time. Maybe Beauty and the Beast, I think. I don't even remember. I, I remember Linda Hamilton and Ron Perlman in Beauty and the Beast, but I don't remember anything about it. I just remember that it existed. Yeah, but, but still, I mean, even the Star Trek, this was this was ser- something that was done ser- quite frequently. Serialized television was not a thing as we know it today. There may be a couple of episodes that tie together in a whole season story arc, but even then, that was really, really rare. Uh, for a lot of uh, dra- dramatic television, especially back in the day, which seems antithetical, seems seems like that would not be the case. But uh, but here we are. Uh, so let's just let's just dive in. So uh, we are back in the police station uh, and we are going to talk about episode three for I have sinned. Uh, in episode three, we have a serial killer who is preying on women who seem to be uh doing things outside of what a, a, a religious zealot uh, would would do. Uh, and and that is and, and it is taking, you know, and we discovered that these all are all people that go to the same church. Uh, so Nick is seeing this and, and thinking flashing back because this is another thing that we're, we're kind of we've seen in the pilot because it was flashing back to Lucian specifically and his time as an early vampire and turning into a vampire, Nick, I mean, but what we're going to get in the next few episodes are. Whatever flashback he's getting is directly related to the case that's going on at the time, which when I say that out loud is cheesy. And when you see it on screen, it's a little cheesy. Hey, hey, Highlander, the series did this exact same thing and it served the show perfectly well. Sure. Sure, totally. Uh, if you're gonna have, you're gonna have an immortal character that's lived for hundreds of years, you're gonna do this kind of thing. It's you, a story. It's a story. Uh, so, it is law. So while while in the present we have a religious zealot who is is mur- serial murdering women, in the in Nick's past we have a religious zealot who is a woman, a peasant girl uh, who is doomed to become a martyr. That we learn is <laughs> goes by the name of Joan. Yes, Nick knew Joan of Arc. Uh, alongside this, we are introduced. Oh, yes, alongside of this, we are introduced to uh, a father, uh, a priest, Father Pierre Rochefort, uh, who is uh, at the church that uh, all of these these women seem to attend. And uh, 
he he is at odds with Nick at first and, and what Nick is trying to do there uh, because partly the the murderer seems to have confessed uh, his sins to the to the priest and the priest is is uh, unable to to reveal that information because of 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 the way that that Catholic confession works. Miles and I looked a lot of this up and how that works. Yeah, We're not going to go I, into that. No, no, no. I, I want to talk about this a little bit. Just because the, you you and I were both texting each other, wondering, is this still a thing like in the 90s? Because we were kind of making fun of the show because we thought this was an outdated con- uh, concept it, at the time. And it turns out the answer is a lot more complicated. And it's basically a state by state thing on what those uh, rules are. And in Canada, I have no idea. I actually forgot to look up Canada, <laughs> but but so th- this is this is a concept that is still uh, uh, recently discussed. So it is very very possible that a young priest would still hold, especially in 1992, would still hold some of those confidentiality things um, close to heart. And and that was that took me a little getting used to as a as a concept as a modern viewer. Speaking of this priest, I don't have a sound clip for this yet, but I'm promise I'm going to come up with one as soon as we come up with a catchy name for it. But hey, I know you. Uh, the priest is played by Canadian actor Michael McManus, who people may know as playing uh, the character of Kai from the TV series Lex. Hmm. I haven't uh, spent a whole lot of time with Lex, but this this show may solve that yet yeah uh again like i said there's going to be a lot of canadian actors that you are going to recognize that's not even the only one in this episode that that is recognizable but it's probably the most recognizable um interestingly enough the magda who is a character that we are also introduced to who is the potential third victim uh we see the the killer get through two victims before um he targets magda and magda gets away um Magda is played by a woman named Maria Del Mar, who, though we did not see her in what we watched of Tech War, she is a main character in the Tech War TV series. <laughs> so just wild, uh, a great little little connection for our syndication stuff. Um, so let's let's dive into this specific episode. Now, one of the we, we touched on that there was a serial killer and and he was mostly going after women he believed were. Uh, kind of profaning, um, specifically adulterers. The first victim is a woman who is having an affair with a a night guard who works at a department store of some sort. It, it's so funny. I just watched the movie Chopping Mall over Halloween. Yeah, you did. And the intro to this uh, Chopping Mall takes place when, when a group of, of people that work in a furniture store uh, have a, a weird... Uh, overnight party in quotes <laughs> they have a weird night altogether. and then uh, uh, i was i was so happy that i convinced you and rebecca to watch this over the holidays <laughs> uh and uh so we see that that person get killed there's another victim that happens off screen that we don't see yes we are we are told this is uh the latest and uh one thing that i thought was kind of interesting and i think the wiki also notes this is they talk about how um all of the murder victims have worn crucifixes. And I specifically thought, wait, she didn't have a crucifix. She just had a cross, which is, which is something maybe uh, a layman, a mistake a layman would make. 
uh, crucifixes would have the Christ figure on it. And this was just an ornate cross. It could, um, al- it could also just be a difference in terminology between us Southern Americans and Canadians and what they call that. I don't know, to be quite honest. I don't know. Uh, but we are intro- what, what? But the second victim uh, is what introduces us to maybe the, f- the first what I thought was very odd about this episode. So she is laid on the ground and she she in video game terms is T posing. She's she's her legs are straight down and her arms are straight out. And we see this. And the first time uh, Nick sees her, he's a little freaked out and he's like, oh, can't look at her. And skanky is like what are you talking about man oh yeah no this is a tough one but we've seen worse what's going on he's like it's a cross she's a crucifix (laughs) and it's like oh okay this makes sense he's a vampire he can't look at crosses which makes me wonder how we can look at any documents that has a letter t on it but that's a whole other situation to talk about but they they even say in the pilot that he always has kind of an aversion to blood which is him trying to deny his bloodlust not that he's squeamish about seeing bloody people um not just this but one (laughs) This is one thing that graded me about this episode specifically is it starts a a theme that I have noticed in each episode with I'm going to call skankisms. There's always some sort of vice or some sort of concept that skanky gives his um, schmo opinion about his his blue collar style his his. But it's it, yeah, it is a blue collar style, but also this kind of like uh, blustery version of uh, in this in this this particular one was about about uh, cheating. Yeah. And, and and keep in mind that that Skanky does believe that he knows more about the world than Nick does because he doesn't see Nick as a because he doesn't know Nick as a multi hundred year vampire and all of that. But anyway, continue. Well, because in this one, he, they, they're talking about adultery and. And he he says, well, well, my my dad ran around with my mom and his dad ran around with his mom. So, you know, it makes sense. I'm probably going to run around to my wife or or something like that. And I just thought that was one, the most paper thin justification for a garbage action you could possibly make. Uh, So not only does your father's actions don't define yours, but it's just really poor, like (laughs) connecting the dots. Yeah. But this this does offer a glimpse into Skanky also likes to bluster about things, but he almost never really wants to follow through on them. He likes to play a role. He likes to give off the impression that he is this kind of worldly character because a lot of it. And this is something I've, I've kind of noticed over the next several episodes is he he's a little intimidated by it's funny that you mentioned the worldliness because I think he's intimidated by Nick's worldliness, you know, and Nick kind of condescending. Like, you can't go in this club. It's too dangerous for you. You know, and, Nick and, seems to be. And we know this. we know why as as an outside observer. Right. This is this is, I think, one of the weird oddities of the show is that Nick doesn't do a very good job of of explaining to Skanky why he shouldn't shouldn't should and shouldn't do things. And I get doesn't do a good job being a person at all. (laughs) (laughs) But he explains to Skanky that you don't want to go in there. You don't want to go in there. And of course, Skanky's like, 
But you go in there, you're you're a dude. I'm a dude. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to have a good time and I'm going to try to get with this lady who's looking at me with her beehive haircut. <laughs> yes. And so we we see Skanky get into get himself into a compromising situation with a a vampire patron there that Jeanette uh smartly stops because she she knows one that's Nick's partner but also you don't want the cops involved in your your club. Yes. Um th- this this episode itself is pretty open and shut in terms of the case. Um so I'm going to get into that a little a little little bit, but I do want to uh, talk about a couple of things that that I thought were not just interesting but some things that kind of uh, caught my attention. One and I, I can't remember if this happened when we watched the first two episodes. And, I, and I, I was wondering, Drew, if you know if this was something that happened a lot at the time. Because I know the X-Files did this, but the episode title is, explain, is, is displayed at the beginning of, of the episode. And I, I don't remember that on the, on the, the pilot in the second episode, but... It's, I, in, it's in all three of the episodes we watched this week, but I'm kind of curious how how frequent that was or if that maybe inspired X-Files to do that. So the the episode for the the title for the first two episodes is technically Dark Knight and Dark Knight, the second chapter. I would bet I I, I haven't looked. I would bet that those are not on there. Probably not. But I'm talking about just in general, did a lot of shows at the time put their episode titles at the front of the episode? I, I mean, Star uh, Trek did every Star Trek did, did. Did it? OK, but I don't um, I don't remember if anything else did. Like, did Buffy? Buffy would have been a little later than this, of course. I want to say Buffy might have eventually started doing that. I I, I think it may I, uh, I have to I'll have to check. I don't um, but recall. I, was if, I don't recall many shows doing it. Yeah, I, it was just something that I noticed. Um, the the in the first scene in this episode uh where you have the the young couple displaying their affections has some of the worst stock sound for kissing that I have ever heard. It's some it's some some loud some kissing, weird slurpy sounds. Yes. Um. And th- this episode, and again, this is not necessarily a criticism. It is something I do not like about this show, and I'm going to say that flat out. This is one thing I dislike. I didn't like it when we first talked about the show. Is the idea of these vampire cure lessons uh in this particular episode it's get over your feet it's he says that he's afraid of the church because he's afraid of his faith um so this sees him like trying to hold crosses more and um kind of accept the idea of faith in his quest to become mortal uh, not only that we see the garlic pills again and I feel like these things are so I, I hate to say it because I, I don't like selling data, but they're abysmally stupid. <laughs> and, it, and it's not a 90s thing. It's I think the idea that to become mortal is to just not be immortal is dumb. It is like telling a depressed person, have you tried not being depressed? <laughs> that, that that is the equivalent of what well, it's, they it, are they are doing. But it's also and, and, it's also exposure therapy. So like it, th- there are this is I understand that there, but there that are is certain not, things that's not that, what they are saying it is. 
because I'm not sure they had the name back in 1992 for when this happened. Maybe, maybe again, maybe I'm being overly harsh because I'm a big vampire fan, and I I don't want this to be perceived as something. I, I, that I don't like the show. It, this is just one of those things that does irk me about it. It, it irks me too, just because it's it's like okay, so we're gonna go through every episode with a different vampire thing. Like, is 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 he gonna in episode five or six that we haven't watched yet? Three, four, five. Yeah, in episode six, is he suddenly gonna be weird about mirrors? Like, is that gonna be a thing that happens? I I, I am I am waiting for it. Um. Now, again, like I said, the 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 actual case is pretty open and shut, and they they do some stuff that is fairly nineties. The the killer just has a ski mask, which you know that was used in so many TV and movies at this time. But on the, I guess because I watch a lot of you know supernatural and a lot of uh, supernaturally themed television shows, it kind of makes the killer look like an inept ninja. <laughs> And I played bass for Inept Ninja. <laughs> uh, but I do. I mean, I like the idea of of this uh, religiously themed crazed killer uh, that Nick has to hunt down. I thought the questions about faith and his interactions with the father were really, really interesting. Not that the show always and this is the problem, I think, for me with the show as a modern viewer, the show never it scratches the surface on its issues. It never digs never really into gets in like there. And there are also just uncomfortable things that happen in this, like Nick, oh, having yeah. Nick, having to spend an entire day in a church. Um, how sunlight going through stained glass windows doesn't kill him. I don't know, but uh, do you get the funny scene with him in the confessional. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. He does. He dashes when, when he dashes into the confessional, which is, is also troubling in its own right. When like, the, 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 yeah, the, why is he not like smoking? You know, like the, the, the lady comes in and sits down and talks to him and he speaks in a weird accent. It, like he snores and tells I her that, love that was that scene. That was pretty funny. But then skank- because, because that little old Catholic lady was like, oh, oh, father, you just rest. I'll just say 25 Hail Marys. It was such a cute. It was a well done scene. I really liked that. But then there's also like Skanky goes in there to confess something. It's like, you don't do this, man. This is this is like. Gets, yeah, this is that's that's too far for for some of that stuff. But and then um, we have. I'm trying to think. Is this the the killer that he dangles out the window? No. Is that, that, okay, that's the, ne- the next that's episode. That's the next episode. Um, this is the one where at the end of the episode, because again, we have to talk about the flashbacks. Uh, Nick knows this Joan girl who is is dedicated to the church and wants to increase the power of the church and goes to war for the church. And it's Joan of Arc. And he wants to turn Joan of Arc into a vampire in order to keep her alive. And she refuses because she has faith and she knows that she'll live forever in, in heaven and, and the, you know, Catholic stuff. Um, and that is, is something that he struggles with because he feels like he let her down with what, what's happening. But of course, as, as it comes down to it, when Magda is, tied to the cross at the church's Easter festival that the killer we learn has been helping to build. And then he sets it on fire, much like Joan of Arc was burned on the cross. Uh, it, 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 
in in the flashbacks he learns about faith and and that is one of those things where i think this story wise is maybe the story that worked best for me of the three episodes that we watched tonight it's a good story. My 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 issues is I love the idea of these flashbacks. I know they're silly. I know they're goofy, but it's a show about a vampire detective. So here we are. I, I like I, I loved I loved when Highlander did it. I again, I think on the surface, the stuff with Joan of Arc to use as a, a case for faith is excellent. I do think that the scenes that they used Joan of Arc for, the, the actual flashback scenes, in terms of their dialogue, their blocking, their presentation, I just all felt that they were clumsy. I didn't, it's again, I think they scratched the surface, but they didn't quite get there for me. Well, in, we'll, in we'll terms t- of. We'll talk about this more as we recap all three episodes tonight. I agree. Uh, and and is, is there anything left we need to say about For I Have Sinned? No, I mean, I, I think despite my complaints, I mean, it's a a perfectly serviceable episode. It's a uh, a, t- a kind of uh, procedural that you see in almost every cop theme show. You've got the, the crazy religious killer. I think that one thing that I, I think that we find is there's not a whole for a detective. They don't do a ton of detecting. <laughs> it's it is point A, point B, point C. It's very boop, boop, boop. And and that's fine. This is more about him being a vampire than not. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's 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 a a decent episode. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on to episode four. Last act. A doctor, a young doctor, is has just lost a patient on the operating table in the emergency room, and she is is torn up about it, and she goes to. Uh, to to relax and and take a shower after to conferring with another doctor, and all of a sudden, she's killed in the shower. But outside evidence, because of how she was killed, makes it look like a suicide. Nick, on the other hand, feels that it was a murder, but he doesn't seem to really understand why. At the same time, Nick is preoccupied by a pile of clothes and a ring he has found just on a park bench after a report of spontaneous combustion, uh, as we learned that a a dear friend of Nick's from his vampire past has decided to sit herself out in the sun and poof into dust uh, as as they he as Nick tries to to understand why one character one person in his life committed suicide and prove that another one did not which is i think a very odd i feel like i put that very eloquently i'm going to put that out there i feel like that's more eloquently (laughs) than the than the the episode itself handles it but yeah i i i gotta say i generally like this episode and the contemplation on eternal life and I think that it was I think it made the clumsy mistake of trying to talk a little bit about, quote unquote, moral suicide. And I think they sh- probably should have shied away from that. And not that they do too bad of a job. I think the the skankyism of 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 the day about suicide was a little too insensitive. And because because his whole I mean, he actually has a a whole thing about 
You know, the problem with suicide is that no one does with any flair panache. If I was going to do it, uh, if, I, or if I was going to buy a ticket out of here, I'd do it in style. First, a romantic gourmet dinner for two, followed by a few minutes of fabulous lovemaking, then a night, nightcap of nitroglycerine. Talk about going out with a bag. <laughs> like, it's just, oh, I, I felt dirty just saying it. Yeah, this is, I, I think, also the first episode where Skanky goes to Nick's apartment and tries to eat something out of his fridge and only finds bottles of, quote, red wine, end quote. It's something that keeps happening in this show. Nick, put stuff in your fridge, dude. <laughs> uh, so he's so bad at being a person. It's it's it, it starts to I didn't think about it much before, but now it's just really bother me. Um, so, <laughs> so, so we should what, we should introduce some of the other members of what's going on here. So in the present day, we have uh uh Dean who is the uh no, I'm sorry. We have uh 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 Marilyn, excuse me. Marilyn who is the doctor who who gets killed and she is extremely mm-hmm. popular around the hospital. Uh we also have Dean who is a cancer patient in the hospital who uh seems to to be very close friends with with Marilyn. Uh, we also have Marilyn's uh, fiance, Carl, uh, who is an, a medical student himself uh, and and sort of all the stuff that's going on around them. And there's a bunch of other doctors and hospital staff. And, and then in the past, we have Erica and Erica is another vampire that uh, that Nick was was with. Uh, I, I don't remember whether he turned her into a vampire or not, but she. I- I, I'm it's a little unclear, but I think this, this is one of the the more interesting vampires to me and that this episode is all about uh, immortality in different ways. Uh, so mm-hmm. you have you have immortality in the vampire way of they live forever until they're killed or stay out in the sun or get staked through the heart or whatever. You've got immortality when it comes to. To, you know living as a human and being remembered for things uh, and, and and you all it, especially with somebody like Dean who is a terminal cancer patient who is going to die soon uh, and, and there's this this interesting line especially when it comes to Erica and how we learn all about all of her story after she has already died and, and through Nick's recollections and Oddly spiritual journeys, which I don't know whether that's actually Erica talking to him or if it's just Nick's interpretation of Erica. They never really go out of the yeah, to say I, that. I got I got I got. I got. Questions about that, but 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 Erica, who is is a playwright, she and Nick performed plays throughout uh, uh, Renaissance Europe and uh, in, 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 because she. When it comes to immortality. She knows that at some point she is going to tire of the life as a vampire. And when that happens, she's going to to end it herself so that she doesn't become a, a she stops taking. But she has also stated that her her writings, her plays are what because she can't have children because she's a vampire. She, that, that's what she's going to leave behind. And there's something poetic and interesting and cool about that idea. Uh, and, and I liked that quite a bit. Uh, especially, there, there was a lot about this episode I did like. I I did. I loved the meditation on Eternal Life. So few vampire shows honestly dig into that. Um, 
you know, I was talking about this with, with, with Drew about how, you know, for a little bit, we had a steady stream of vampire shows from Buffy and Angel, uh, Vampire Diaries, True Blood, the originals. But so few of them really meditate on all the aspects of living forever. And I think this show actually does a really, that poses some really interesting questions about it. And in that aspect, I thought it was really meditative on what it meant for Erica, the vampire, to to take her life while they were dealing with this homicide that was thought to be a suicide. I, I thought the like I said at the top of this, I thought the human side was was fairly clumsy. It's I mean it's weird from the cold open. Like we mentioned before in in our first episode, if you go back and listen to the the prior Forever Night episode, that the show had a habit of using their guest actresses uh, liberally in terms of uh, sexuality and what they showed. And yes, the the cold open. I mean, it's just first of all, they they do this very thinly veiled scene between uh, Marilyn and a female doctor in the locker room that is that is is overtly done to look like it's homoerotic and 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 just as a, a male gaze titillation thing, nothing more. And then the next second we get a shot of her enjoying this shower. Uh, and this, this is what we were talking about in, in the, the prior episode where the cast and crew had to, st- I think stood up to the, either the writers, or the studio were like, you need to stop doing this. So exploitative, uh, so uh, exploitative. exploitative, exploitative. Thank you. And look, I, I know people love, love some exploitation, but in terms of your, every single week and the, the way these actresses were treat, treated. I mean, yeah, it, I can definitely see why this happened and it, it doesn't stop with this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, cause, cause there is, there is definitely some, some what appear to be intentional, uh, uh ties to like when, when Marilyn is getting the, the back rub, she is, she has taken off her her scrubs top and and you 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 see the, she's the in her underwear she's in her underwear you see you see the hands come up to give her a, a back rub and you see oh she's she there's some there's some subtext there that is is not hundred percent and it's and it's done I think purely for titillation and not signifying anything else because they often use that doctor as a red herring. Uh, as a possible sub suspect. I mean, yes, it, it definitely, because that scene happens right before she's in the shower. Somebody surprises her and to which she says, Oh, you, and then gets killed. It makes you think that, Oh, maybe that's that doctor that did it. Mm, well, we and know. the doctor is hostile to the cops the entire episode. Mm-hmm. And, and so it just seems, Oh, she's, she's a suspect, but I want to, I, I do want to comment that, and the difference between how the, the, these scenes are handled, it's a stark contrast from the scenes with Erica. Uh, she has a sensual scene with Nick, but it she's got her own agency. It feels more sensual and less exploitative. Like it's it's done differently, and and you can tell the visual difference. 
And uh, speak, speaking of Erica, and I don't want to derail your your point because I think it's a the very powerful, good point. Uh, we do need to mention the, hey, I know you. Yup. Erica is played by actress Tori Higginson, uh, who on our show uh, played uh, uh, the uh, Beth Kittredge on Tech War, uh, but is probably best known for playing Dr. Elizabeth Weir on Stargate SG-1 and Stargate Atlantis. Uh, So a lot of tech war in this show. (laughs) There's a lot of tech war in this show. Uh, there's a lot of Canadian uh, performers in the show as well. Almost all of them Canadian. Uh, so that is that is one of the the probably the biggest uh, guest star that we have had in the show so far, but mostly because she went on to have a much broader career than than a lot of the people that we've seen. Um, but anyway, continue. Oh, well, I was I was saying this this treatment of Erica it, it leads up, it lines up with how they treat her character because she's the one meditating on on life. And so they're they're treating her more as a living, breathing, well, not breathing, she's a vampire, but a, a, a living character rather than a set piece. And I think that's a, that's a, a definitely a stark difference in how they treat these characters. And I do I, I appreciate this meditation on living forever beyond just brooding which nick doesn't do a ton of brooding he's just either glib or spastically angry which we need to talk a little bit about yeah that's a that's a whole thing with that character and uh, and i wonder if that's just the care the actor trying to find the role still because we're we're not that far into the season yet i'm not sure either because he's such a hothead and as a cop he really needs counseling. It's Nick. So, so I'm wondering if, if the idea is that when he gets angry, like the vampire, like the monster instincts take over kind of a Hulk thing. And, and, but they haven't quite, they show that a little bit. in and the, the next episode that we're going to talk about, but as, as it, as it turns out with this episode, because we didn't talk about this, uh, it turns out the 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 fiance did it. The fiance was was uh, upset with with uh, <sighs> with Marilyn for this particular reason. And this is where this episode takes a turn that I don't hated. quite hated understand. It. I hated it. I love so much about this episode. And again, the human part just completely unearths all the goodwill this episode builds for me. So so we've talked about Marilyn and how she's close with a lot of people in the hospital. She's cool. The the nurses call her cool in a way that a lot of other doctors aren't cool. And we have this character Dean who is a a uh, a terminal cancer patient. Um Dean, hey, I know you. He was uh, has had a long career, a very long career. Uh, you may know him as one of the evil Kryptonians in Man of Steel. He's the one that uh, that is performing experiments on Kal-El when uh, when Kal-El is, is captured on the Kryptonian ship. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so D- Dean is dying of terminal cancer. And we learn through this that uh, that Marilyn was pregnant at the time of her death, which is, again, another tick in the book of why would someone 
kill themselves if they're pregnant because they seem to have something to live for, which is a whole other conversation that I don't want to get into. But yeah, we're not getting into that at all. But we find out that Marilyn is pregnant with Dean's child, not because they love each other. Not because they, that was something that they planned, but apparently what is stated to us is that Marilyn wanted to give Dean some sort of sense of immortality by having his child that would continue on into the future. Did not dis- discuss this with her fiance, maybe, or the fiance was, of course, jealous of what was going on because he presumably found out and killed her as a result. Yeah, I, this uh, just is. I almost understand why why Nick gets so mad because I got so mad. It's it's and, it's, it's and, one it's one of those things where it's like if they had just explained that the two fell in love with each other and had an affair, that would be fine, fine. You know, but they whatever. make this whole thing about her having his baby to give him immortality, and it's just like it's 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 a little. Like, I get the point that they're trying to make that that what we as humans leave behind and our children are the things that bring us into the future. I get that. I'm a father. I understand that idea and that concept. But the way that it's executed here is just off for me. I, I'm, I'm right there with you. It, it took me out of this episode that I largely really, really liked a Same. lot of. Um, and one thing I, I I know you mentioned it, Drew, but yeah, Nick keeps seeing the possible ghost of Erica. And what the episode never makes clear is, is this actually a shade or ghost of a vampire? Do they linger around or is Nick just crazy? And for him having his not crazy, that's that's dismissive, but is Nick um, is it all in his head? And. If so, lined up with his uh, hot-headedness seems to be a bad combination. Yeah, I I don't know because there there's a there's a great scene where Ghost Erica is telling him that becoming mortal is nothing more than a fantasy. So is this his own mind telling him his route to mortality is? vaguely idiotic or is there something beyond the veil and the, the, I, whole, I know they, the whole erica storyline makes me wish that erica was in more than one episode of this show it's oh, no super interesting this and yeah I, I i and this aspect and the erica aspect and even even not i wouldn't say um justifying but showing why someone who has lived for 800 years may want to stop that was interesting to me yeah i didn't think you needed a fake suicide to just kind of put the stamp on the suicide episode um so that that and the fact that this episode ends with a middle ages pun um (laughs) which is it's uh, it just takes me out of the tone because at the end (laughs) when they're watching the play shanky's like did i miss something what did i miss and natalie says only the middle ages (laughs) and skanky says damn were they funny and the last moment is nick walking off saying 
I enjoyed them. Yeah, it's it's. I actually, <laughs> womp, I, womp, womp. I like that moment. It's stupid, but it's oh, it's. Listen, I laughed and been like, I even wrote, oh, ends with a pun, nice. But in my anger at this part of the episode, I'm just like, oh man, y'all had the audacity to end it with a pun. Um, <laughs> I, I I actually really liked that uh, when the play uh, got off stage. Uh, and and the the actress in the play was talking about how it had been reviewed extremely poorly by the critics. Uh, Nick made a comment about about you know this the worst show and blah blah blah, and it was about oh uh, no, uh, uh, insepid. I think is what they said. Insepid, in, 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 something something. Yeah. Uh, basically, a famous quote about uh, uh, Romeo and Juliet, Romeo and Juliet. which is one of the most well known plays of all time. It's like that. That's fun. That's an interesting little little moment to have there. Um, any yeah, any I, I, last words about last act? No, I, I think I think last act is is becoming indicative with how I'm starting to form my opinion about this show, which is while super, super fun, it can be so frustrating how close to being really good it gets and not quite getting there. Yes, we will have that discussion after talking about this episode, uh, because I think we need to recap everything that we watched tonight in a in a in an interesting fashion. Uh, so this is episode five, Dance by the Light of the Moon. This episode, I'm going to try to <sighs> this episode opens on on a a foxy lady kissing a dude telling asking him how it felt to steal all that money how to feel steal all that money feel good feel good to steal all that money and the dude says yeah and then another dude comes in and kills him and then she's like how did it feel to kill that guy how did it feel to kill that guy to feel good yeah and then she stabs him and that's basically the episode this episode's weird i don't i don't particularly like this episode very much i thought it was a mess uh i'm just gonna say uh because they don't explain nearly enough about what is happening in this episode. So, yes, I I am right there with you. This episode is a mess. Um and and this is I think where you where you made the comment to me that you felt that the show was about 10 minutes too long. And I pointed out that we were watching the uncut German Canadian versions, not the uh, American ones because this one does feel every bit of its length. The the prior two episodes do feel a bit meaty, but I'm generally okay with what's in it. This this is one that I really feel that just the entire episode uh, spins its wheels. And uh, now I, I am going to do a uh, I know her because the main the main supporting actress or guest actress uh, who plays the death obsessed stripper uh Cynthia Preston has had a pretty prolific career specifically for me as a voice actress when she played princess zelda excuse um, me miles trust me i was waiting for someone to say that this entire episode um, C- Cynthia Preston has had a pretty, pretty decent career, but the, the big one for me was that she voiced Princess Zelda for the Super Mario Bros. Super Show, Captain N, uh, Legend of Zelda, 
And I just, I, I got a big kick of that. She's done plenty of other things. And she's probably, uh, I think she's had a couple of big action roles too, or like the the supporting actress in the, in the film. But I, so how many of these episodes, I, I specifically wrote this down with the cold open. How many of these episodes are going to start with a romantic or erotic rendezvous that leads to murder. I, I feel like that is such a thing in, cause this is a nighttime show. It's forever. Right. Night. It's, it, and this is something like, I remember La Femme Nikita coming out on USA. Like this was, yeah, that was the thing is if it was supposed to be nighttime, it was supposed to be mature. And if it was mature, it was sexy. That was yeah. the main thing in the early nineties. And, and that's why I wanted to, to mention that, especially because of this episode. And it's interesting because uh, when when Skanky and Nick first go to this strip club, my first reaction, and again, this was not done out of anything other than this is just kind of looking odd. All the strippers that were dancing were more clothed than if they had been on the beach. <laughs> yes, that but is true. They do that to highlight uh her her stage name is Pris because she does a whole little routine where she's like in like kind of on an office skirt or something and then gets down to lingerie. So it's, it's supposed to build up that oh this is the the seductive bad girl like she goes further than the other dancers. And I mean yeah, it's fine that this episode is just like I think Drew kind of hit on the head. It's like what are you guys doing? It, it just I it thought. <laughs> It doesn't make any sense because the only like, and, and even in Nick's flashback, there's this like super compelling woman who is getting Jeanette. No, the, it wasn't Jeanette, was it? It was it was somebody else. It was a. Uh, uh, um... Yeah, it's Jeanette. Oh, it is Jeanette. OK. Well, that makes more sense then. I wish I'd realized that if I had realized that, that would be <laughs> that would have been better. I didn't realize yeah, and, that and, was and, who that was in the flashback until just this he moment. Keeps, yeah, he keeps going back to her club, too. So we do get to see that. And also keep in mind. Um, this episode where it really falls, because one of the things that is communicated is that she basically tricks these two guys into going deeper and deeper into dark stuff. So she she may she didn't make, but she basically seduced this accountant who then was killed by a cop who was also obsessed with her, who she then killed. Now, Nick is, start, is starting to investigate her because she's the one who was linked to these, these, both these guys. And the two actors do have a pretty good chemistry. The tip for tap between Anne and Nick is solid. And the I, really I don't have any prom- problems with the performances. I have a problem with the fact that none of this makes sense. Like mostly no. because mostly because she seems to be doing the same thing that she did to these two guys in the beginning to Nick and Skanky. And so, the, the yes. entire time, we don't really understand what she's doing. And we don't understand that spoiler warning. Nick and Skanky have figured this out and they're playing against each other for the sake of capturing her in something. But also like well, they that's, make, they that's make, later. We they, don't, we don't know that there's a grift at first. And this true. episode does such a poor job communicating because I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to trick the viewer into thinking that she's seduced Nick. However, they do so without any indication that she has 
and here's my problem if she had some sort of supernatural push to her manipulations especially when it seems to have an effect on nick M- and i'm mostly, not, mostly I'm not, because we already know that the vampires in this universe can glamour they can exactly. control people's minds it happens in the flashback with nick before and this and and they they even make little things like oh well this lipstick is a particular color but it's this and that and it's got additives to it that made me think oh is she like poison ivying this is there something in the right. lipstick that does this no, there's not. There's no explanation other than she's hot. She's hot. And that's what causes men to do this. And that that is the the worst explanation for all of this. Uh, and I, I hate that. And it, and it sucks because one of the things that I, I took note of was the fact that she is not written as someone who thinks she's smart. She has written as an intelligent, if twisted person. And I think that's super, super interesting. But if you had had, whether she had a poison ivy effect or had some, or maybe she was a succubus or some sort of supernatural push, because not that by making Nick just your average Joe falling for her. And, and I know that he figures it out at some point, but through part of this episode, you can tell he is clearly under her quote unquote spell. That kind of shatters the vampire mystique for me. Yeah. And it's a balance that they need to delicately maintain. And so I'm okay with Nick being a bad person. So, uh, and I mean, not a bad person as in he's a bad guy, but just bad at being a person. <laughs> so long as he's competent at being a vampire. Yeah, we, we need to clarify going forward. We talk about Nick as a bad person. We just mean that he's been a vampire so long that he sucks at being a regular human being. <laughs> but now, as it turns out, he's not that great at being a vampire either. Because, and, and again... This may have been because writing shortcuts, because after one evening with Anne, which is the, the, the woman's name, everyone jumps to conclusions about his, his actions as if this has been going on for weeks. Even still, that, the, Skanky, by the way, hashtag Skanky was right is going to be something that I feel like I'm going to say a lot watching the show. These three I episodes, <laughs> these three episodes have made me like Skanky's kind of a kind of a, an awful dude. But also he's right a lot of the time. He's well, right Sk- about Skanky this. Puts on that. This is the thing that I, I do like about the show and what I mentioned earlier. Skanky puts on the impression of an awful dude. And yes, he is certainly old fashioned, but it turns like, out when, he, when when it comes down to it, he's kind of all right. He makes that he he makes that whole thing about how his you know, we talked about this a few episodes ago. He makes that uh, thing about how his his grandfather fooled around and his father fooled around so he can fool around. And it's just something that that he can he can do. And it's like, but he can't bring himself to do it when the time actually comes, except until when a vampire glamours him to do it. And that's yeah, and that, that's a difference. And while there are some moments that I thought seemed that Nick might have been playing her the whole time, or at least caught wind of this is what's going on, especially when she burns the book, um, that she 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 thought that uh, the cops, I guess, uh, casebook might have incriminated her. And when Nick quote unquote stole it for her. Which uh, I don't want to get into how she doesn't understand ceiling works. Um, 
I think that there there's a there's a moment where you kind of see his face expression his facial expressions change and there seems to be some sort of recognition of what's going on in in this blinking you missed it shot that at first I overlooked and then I was kind of thinking about as this the scene kept running I was like does he know but I still dislike how the visual communication works in in this episode because again they make him seem like such a hapless guy. And I get that it turns out that he's running a grift on her. But for part of this episode, but we don't ne- we don't we, we needed hints of that. Like they wanted to surprise us with he and Skanky have known about it the whole time and they're trying to catch her in something. But they don't earn that. They just no, surprise us with it. And it and it sucks. It's this yes. episode, despite the fact that I like the performances in this episode a lot. This episode sucks. It's bad. It is bad. It, it is. And I mean, I feel so bad talking about this. And I'm, I please don't be turned off by our reactions because this is not how I've gone into this show. This is not how I react to this, this show in general. But if we're going to be talking about things and being honest with people, like I, I definitely get why in the mid 90s this was super fun and super why this got the audience it did. Sure. Uh, this, this particular episode, the way it ends, because when the grift happens, she runs off and some other guy that she's bamboozled uh, shoots Nick, which suddenly, of course does nothing. Suddenly shows up this guy that we've never seen before. The, the, I, I, I. This episode doesn't do like even the flashbacks, which we have talked about the flashbacks in these last two episodes being just as impactful or more impactful than the main story. We talked about it in in the the first episode for the, the, the you know, talk about Joan of Arc and having a discussion about the concept of faith and and and, and talking about uh, 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 Erica and, and conversations about immortality and what that means and what we leave behind this is just like, oh, a hot lady. You you met a hot lady in the past. And yes, at the very end, the last moment we see is that the hot lady brings him back in. And then he Nick is introduced to Lucian. This is Nick's transitional period. He meets his his sire and all of this. And I just that's the only redeeming thing about this episode that is otherwise not particularly good. I mentioned when we started talking about this and and I said that we're going to talk about this and I said we're going to talk about this. This episode felt about 10 minutes too long. I actually think that's true of all three of these episodes. This show is just a little too long to keep my attention forever. I enjoy this show. I like this show. And then it just just wears on you because there's a little too much of lingering on this and a little too much of lingering on that. And I keep thinking when I'm watching these like, man, this show would be great if it was remade today with contemporary ideas and and miles and i talked a little bit about this like angel is kind of like this show and there's a couple of other shows that are kind of like this show it's so funny because i i being such a a fan of angel when it came out i was so resistant to a a couple of older uh, magazine writers kind of writing the show off as a a forever night ripoff but man oh man were (laughs) they right oh my god um <laughs> it, it's so funny i still i love angel and angel especially season one works as a a, 
a version of this. And I, I, I'm with you, Drew. I, I'm surprised like HBO or somebody like, like you told me hasn't tried doing this. I don't know if there's a rights issue or what, or Hey, if it's CBS still has some rights, Hey, all access could use another show. So you can't just have star Trek. I mean, real, realistically, you could make not a forever night show, but make a show that's very similar to forever night. And it wouldn't matter at all. Uh, I mean, sure, but the name recognition helps. And like, like I told you, man, if you just did like what they did with HBO did with Perry Mason, but just add a vampire, I'm in. Yeah, I am same. all yeah, same. in. And and again, I think my criticisms come from I love the concept of this show so much. I like a lot of what this show does. I I get what this show was even attempting to do with its flashbacks and stuff, but this the, the actual story just did not earn it. It's the the writing for the seduction and the conclusion is so sloppy and and lazy that it removes the interest because after she runs off, you know, the the guy who shot Nick is being chased by Skanky and Skanky takes him out. She goes up this building. And so Nick, you know, does his little flying thing. And I thought there was going to be some sort of reveal about how dark Nick really was, or at least flashes fangs or something. So she could see, oh, there's something way darker than I'm. Which we, with. we forgot to mention when Nick did that in last act in the last episode, when he uh, vamps out on on uh, uh, the ladies, Marilyn. Yeah, Marilyn's fiance. And he's got his fangs out. And he's got his yellow eyes. And he's holding him out a window and, and all of this. And and that didn't happen here. And, and again, I just I wanted a supernatural element or something to explain why this any of this stuff was happening. And it just didn't happen. And yeah, they didn't and explain then, why it didn't happen. It just uh, and then Nick just lets her jump off the ledge and die. Dude can fly. He could catch. Right. He has. Hasn't he done this in the pilot? Yeah, he could have just do- leapt down there and caught her and it would have, wouldn't have I, been a whole thing. And again, people listening and especially people who have been listening for a long time know that I I love everything. I, I'm super, super positive boy. And and Drew is, too. I mean, he's he's a pretty positive boy as well. We we have been a little bit more liberal with our. Critical opinions uh since we've come back uh, for, for, for good reason. We want to give more objective uh, analysis of the stuff that we do. I, I am worried that I am being overly negative about forever night right now. And I just don't want it to be communicated that I dislike the show or that I am trying to come down hard on the show because I am going into every episode with an appetite to like it. We're, I mean, we're, I'm a massive fan of 90s television. We're I in love for the, vampire fiction. We're in for the long haul on this. Our listeners yes. know that. It, I just it, don't want people to think that we are going to be uh, pissing and moaning for for several weeks because no, we are not. But I will say when when things are are weird in episodes and it's funny, we're going to call that out. When things are good 100%. in these episodes, we're going to call it out. And when things are bad in these episodes, we're going to call it out. The thing about these show about shows like this. In 1992, 1993, you had like a 22 episode season for hour long shows. 
It happened to a lot of shows. Look at Star Trek The Next Generation, one of my favorite shows of all time. Even in the good seasons, there were great episodes, but there were always stinkers. A hundred percent. And the reason we chose these syndicated shows was not because they are the next Breaking Bad or they are. And some of them are hidden gems, but they, they were there's a a B movie quality that I love. And I, I will say I love that about all three episodes that we watched. There is something salvageable in all three episodes that we watched, even this one uh, at the the end of the episode shows a tease that we are going to see Lucian again. Uh, even though it's in a flashback, we we both know they're not bringing back this actor just to pop up in flashbacks. We're going to see him. I don't know if that's true. I'm just going by what I know of <laughs> 36 years of watching genre television and reading comic books. Um, so we'll see. Um, but I think even the credits has him still listed as... <laughs> Lucien Delacroix, whatever his name is. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I know from doing research on this show before we started doing this, that Lucien is going to be a pervasive figure in this series at some point. Oh, well, you know what? I think I did, too, because I had to read about the finale. <laughs> yeah. So uh, with that said, Miles, any final thoughts on the three episodes of Forever Night that we watched today? Yeah, uh, I know we were, we've felt a little overly harsh, but I think it's more um, not disappointment, but when you see a show striving to do something extremely interesting and it almost gets there and and, and it's honestly it's it's that's what's make it makes it disappointing is this show is doing something that even though it was probably not it was the first, but one of the very few vampire shows at the time and there have been plenty since it's doing stuff that i feel still feels fresh and different than other vampire shows have done in the last 30 years and i appreciate that i find the vampire detective stuff still uh fun i like nick sometimes (laughs) (laughs) that's that is something that i want to pay attention to as we continue watching this because right now nick is extremely charming when he's jovial and he's hanging out and he's picking on skanky and he's doing this deep, deep voice. Oh, you know, yeah. blah, 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 da, 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 da. But then all of a sudden there's a, a snap and he's like, I'm going to kill everyone in this room. Da, 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 da. And it's like, that doesn't fit. It doesn't, it's not earned yet. And, yeah. And I want to see if that's just them not the, the the production not finding that character yet, or if that was just a, a choice for a reason. I don't know. We'll see because we're going to continue to watch this. Uh, speaking of Miles. So next week, we are going to watch the next four episodes of season one of Forever Night. That is Dying to Know You, False Witness, Cherry Blossoms, and I Will Repay. Now, uh, this is something Drew and I talked about. Uh, we're going to test four episodes because these are like, like he said, they're meaty hour long, yes. basically. And they're so all if ten minutes find, too long. <laughs> <laughs> well, I agree with the with the last episode, but if we do find that we are running a little long in the tooth with four episodes, we will go back to three after our our little break. 
and uh, go from there. But we're going to try four for next week and see see how it finds us and, and hopefully uh, finds us in a better temperament with uh, the balance of Forever Night's uh, storytelling. Because, you know, I, I do like this show. And I think the reason that I like this show so much is it kind of ticks a lot of my boxes. And that's what makes it so much more frustrating and makes me sound a lot more negative when it does something <laughs> I dislike. <laughs> yeah, so far, d- despite uh, despite outward appearances, I'm enjoying this show quite a bit. It's just you know there there it's an old show, and there are things that old shows used to do that are that are not quite as polished as we have today. But we'll see if this show can find itself next week. If you would like to reach out to us and discuss what you like about Forever Night, what you noticed and what you liked and disliked, you can find us at the More You Nerd on Twitter, Facebook.com/slash The More You Nerd. You can email us the More You Nerd at gmail.com. That's the More You Nerd at gmail.com. Until then, Miles, we end the show as we always do with a rousing nerd. <laughs>